You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. You are listening to Campus Beat. I'm Dinah Jansen. In recent news, six universities in Ontario have partnered together to create a brand new fellowship to expand the pathways for Indigenous and Black students pursuing doctoral studies in engineering to prepare them for careers as professors and industry researchers. Announced by Queen's University on Monday, January 18th, the IBET, that is Indigenous and Black Engineering and Technology Momentum Fellowships, address an urgent need to encourage and support the pursuit of graduate studies by underrepresented groups. This lack of representation has hindered enrollment of Indigenous and Black graduate students in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, or STEM, programs. Today, we are joined by Kevin Deluzio, Professor of Mechanical Engineering and Dean of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science right here at Queen's University to chat about this new partnership and the opportunities it presents to Indigenous and Black graduate students in engineering. Welcome, Kevin, to Campus Beat. Hey, uh, it's great to be here. This is a, this is a real thrill. Okay, so folks, we have a lot of ground to cover today. Kevin, before we dive into our topic, I wonder if you might be able to share with our audience a little bit about your teaching in mechanical engineering, as well as your research, in addition to your decanal duties here in the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. Thank you. That's, that's, that's interesting. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I'm a professor of me- mechanical engineering as my home department here at Queen's, um, and my area of research and specialization is in the area of biomedical engineering. So specifically, I look at my lab, I have a large research lab over in Hotel Duke Hospital, and it's part of the Human Mobility Research Center, and we collaborate with um, engineers and clinicians, mostly from orthopedic uh, surgery, and we deal with people that are having musculoskeletal issues. The most common is arthritis, and how does this affect the way we walk? And can we analyze the way that you walk in a way that helps us understand how arthritis is caused and progresses? And can we design treatment interventions that would slow down the disease progression? So my lab looks like one of those, almost like a Hollywood studio in the sense that it has motion cats a motion capture system. So cameras, people wear reflective balls, and we try to do, get them to do activities of daily living and record them. And uh, this has been this is an exciting area of research for a lot of reasons that you know it has a very practical applied. Even though we use some you know heavy duty computational modeling and math and analysis and engineering in the core of it, it's something that most people can get their head around. And one of the most exciting developments in the in the last probably couple of years is we're now working with companies that are one company in specific that is de- developing a markerless motion capture. So being able to use what motion capture from regular phone, uh, cameras without having to put the special suit on or the reflective balls. And that offers a real opportunity to do uh, collect data at a scale that we weren't able to and get people in a more natural environment. Thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. So can we learn a little bit more about what a dean does? 
Oh gosh, yeah, that's a great question. Well, you know, it's you asked that on on a day when I just met with the um, the Engineering Deans Canada. This is a group of engineering deans across the forty two uh, universities that offer engineering programs across the country, um, and we've been meeting basically. Uh, we started on a weekly basis and now on a biweekly basis since the beginning of COVID. It's a very tight group, so I hosted the session today, and we were talking about learnings and as we prepare for. And I had this. Um, one of my slides said, you know, deaning during a pandemic. <laughs> and I talked about the regular role. There. So, I mean, in, in essence, I, as the dean, I'm responsible for the academic mission of the Faculty of Engineering. Um, and that means the, you know, the fiducial, the budgetary responsibility of the faculty, making sure the, the, that we have enough funds and that we're using those funds the right way, looking over the academic uh, mission and being responsible for all of the end of undergraduate programs. Um, and then the research mission as well, making sure that, um, that there's enough, that, that, that we have the resources in place and we have the environment for research to succeed. So on, my, on good days, a dean is removing barriers so that others can succeed. Students can succeed, faculty can succeed, staff can do their job better, and, and the whole mission is running, running, running better. That's really the goal because you have, as dean, you have levers at your disposal and you have a, a voice at the leadership table to kind of direct change. Um, we're in a really exciting time in the Faculty of Engineering, um, and there are a lot of um, exciting moves of change in engineering education, and we have very ambitious goals for um, increasing our research intensity and the impact of that research. Um, you know, I can go on and on around that, but, you know, engineering affects so many parts of our life, and the core of it, you know, engineers bring science to practical solutions. Um, you know, there's a lot of heavy science in the basis of, of that's wrapped up into your cell phone, but it's an engineer who figures out how to make that actually work and produce a product that you're gonna use and, 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 and affect your life. So if, so, you know, I, I brag that there's not an aspect of life that engineering um, isn't, isn't involved in, but the opportunity, and especially what you talk about as, as, as a dean, what we can do is realize that the best solutions that we get are ones where we're informed with good collaborations. So this, the collaboration across faculties to deliver better programming, collaboration with industry and community partners and everything get us better solutions. So um, yeah, on the good days, those are then on, on, on the on the challenging days, the the the, the, the problems bubble up. So <laughs> <laughs> some of the challenges that you deal with uh, as as dean can 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 be very very difficult. But again, there's a, there's real opportunities in those in those challenges as well, whether they be with students, staff, or faculty. Amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Okay, so Kevin, we've got some pretty exciting stuff to oh, talk yeah. about with the Indigenous and Black Engineering and Technology Momentum Fellowships Program. Can we hear more about this program and its development? And I wonder, maybe we can start at the basics. This is a partnership between Queen's University and several other universities. How did the conversation begin? It's a great question. Um, and you know we we were reflecting on that just just recently as 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 this, as today with some of the, the deans that are involved, and I think it starts started by having a a a very tight relationship between deans of engineering across the country. 
Um, I mentioned that uh, the network that we have, we were meeting regularly. And then as we were all doing our response, responding in some way to the issues of that came up last summer around uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and these issues that captured the imagination um, of our students, of everybody, I think, at least you know, arguably across the world. Um, and many of us were responding with things that we were doing and we were sharing that. And then it became, began, this specific opportunity began with a conversation from Mary Wells, who's the Dean at University of Waterloo. And there was a program that she was aware of um, in the US that did something similar for business schools. And uh, so I think there was some chat, but what I remember distinctly is an email that she sent out to about four or five of us um, one morning and within, I think it was eight minutes, everybody had responded with like, let's do it. This is what we just bubbled up, but bubbled the idea forward. Um, nobody had hesitations. And then we began the planning, but it really began. And then it was the idea that we would start this with the U6, the, 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 the research intensive, six research intensive universities in, in um, Ontario. So I might get these wrong, but Toronto, Ottawa, McMaster, uh, Waterloo, London, Western University, Western Ontario, and Queens. And we'd start there um, because one of the issues is we're looking for a significant investment. That was part of this. Mm -hmm. We have to take funds and put some significant investments. And rather than waiting, and that was the conversations, we, we think there's chance for philanthropic support for this program. I think I could get uh, industry support for a project like this, but that's all going to take time. And we thought let's bootstrap this. And then it's, so it's a little easier going to universities that are bigger and have resources to support something like this. Um, so that's really how it began. And the model, again, we had, we had a model of success to go from, mm -hmm. um, and then there was a real desire to say, we wanted this to hit now. We wanted it to affect the next recruitment cycle. Um, and I refer to some of these things that we've done this year, this crazy COVID year. Um, and I, sometimes you use the expression COVID speed because sometimes we're able to do things faster than we, we could, we've done before. I'm um, thinking the way we revised our curriculum mm -hmm. um, because this is an example of that. Okay. So amidst your conversations with your peers at other universities, Surely some discussion also emerged about some of the disparities in, say, access and representation for Indigenous and Black persons in engineering and the, and the applied sciences. Can we talk a little bit about some of those obstacles and disparities? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things that I'll point to. One was just an observation. And, and in our first um, you know, Zoom call after the initial email, we all started talking and I said, you know, I said, if we look across my diversity uh, data in, in, in the Faculty of Engineering at Queen's, I said, we don't look that bad. We, 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 we're underrepresented in women. And we've been focused on that as, a, as the diversity issue within engineering for some time. Happily, we've made some changes in there. I'm really happy that I think now about 42%, over 40% of our assistant professors are now women and we've done some changes to do that. And, and, and if I look across um, you know, the other designated groups that the Ontario government recognizes, one is visible minorities. And if you look at it, the en engineering, actually we're quite good. Some of our departments have, are, you know, half of the faculty members are from visible minorities. But if I look specifically at indigenous or black, it's, it's terrible. 
we have, you know, you know, talking single digits, and we, and that was the conversation around this. So the same, you know, the, you know, uh, the dean from Waterloo was saying, you know, I got, I think I have one black faculty member, and many of us, like I said, actually, I know because I know all of the faculty member, but you know, again, how many do I have that are that are identif self-identifying, and where is it's it's minimal, and and this was the case at 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 every university, everybody was sharing similar stories, you know. Yes, we have visible minorities, but we really, as we need to do something specifically around these two designated groups, um, and and for Black and Indigenous people of color. And uh, so it was really a recognition. And then you say, what are the, what are the barriers behind that? As, as you asked, I think it, it gets way more complex, but I think you have to start at the, at the realization that, you know, universities, the foundation of universities, what they're built on is not from an eye of diversity and inclusion, right? You go to the 18th, 19th centuries, you really mm -hmm. weren't thinking, oh, how do we get them? You know, it was really a position of privilege. Um, that, that, that led you into the university environment to begin with, and then even more so led you into a position of leadership and teaching. And we know how, so, so we know how important it is to see yourself. Um, we've seen this with women engineering. You know, one of the greatest predictions of who goes into engineering per se is if they have a parent as an engineer. <laughs> you know, so, and we've seen, you know, I've had, and I, I've had women engineering students say to me, you know, I'm graduating and I've never had a woman professor. And just, you know, of course, that's, that, that, that's an extremely limiting and, and problematic side. And in my conversations, I mentioned, I'm in my conversations with black engineering students, they talk to the same, you know, where's, where's my example? Where is my uh, my my role model within within the faculty of engineering. You know, today we're we're talking on on inauguration day when when we have many young uh, women of color, our children of color, looking up and seeing a, a first female vice president and and a, and a woman of color. Um, so I think the and I think we can see the other thing that we point to at this is some of the successful programs. So we've been actually. We'll graduate, we graduated in 2020 more Indigenous engineering students in, at Queen's than any other university in Canada. And what did we, what did we do there that, that, that there's obviously where one of the big ones is to make sure there's a community of support, to make sure that if you're going to welcome these students into the program and you're going to say we're, we're, we're opening our doors and looking at alternate pathways for Indigenous students to get into, to get into engineering, well, you make sure you have the support there. So that was that we recognize that there's two things going on. And again, using very much a successful program, this PhD program in the, in the States as a, as a role model saying this, this is a key way to get rid of the, uh, an important step to address these disparities. Let's do what we can to increase the number of PhD students because that the only people that we can get into professorates <laughs> are, are, are students with PhD. So if we're going to go at it, so rather than us all fighting over a small pool of, 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 of black and indigenous professors, let's increase the number. And that the easiest, the most direct way to do that, although it'd be, there's a long uh, chain, I would say, or a long, long link, you can go on there, but the easiest place to focus is on PhDs, PhD student training. Um, so to do that, number one, the, and the second piece along with this that we're really proud of is that's why we needed to do it as a, as a, as a, um, a bit of a, a network uh, to, of, of universities because we wanted to make sure we, provide, we could provide the support to these students 
and mentorship to these students. And, and uh, that can be done if we're doing it as a network of six universities, you end up getting large enough critical mass. I hope I didn't stray too far from your question. No, I, that's quite detailed. And in fact, I did want to learn a little bit more about what Indigenous and Black students within the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences have actually said about the level of opportunities to be mentored by Black and Indigenous faculty. I think you hit the nail on the head right there. No, it's exactly, that's, you know, you're, you're, you know, and I, I just, it's, it's exactly that. I think it's, it's so important, and I, I've, again, I've really been informed by some of those conversations I've had with the students, and and, and I talked to the um, the uh, Aboriginal Access to Engineering program, is the program that is there to support Indigenous undergraduate students. But we have six graduate students that have come out of that program that are here at Queens, and uh, and I've chatted with them. Actually, one of them sits on my circle of advisors um, on, on my for for, for the uh, for my dean's panel. And uh, yeah, and, and that's really one of the missing links now. I mean, we, 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 ha we have to have those, those role models in place. Um, we do our best to kind of try to, to, try to compensate for that in some way, but the, the true measure that will make a difference is by having more black and indigenous uh, faculty members. And again, if they choose to go to industry, Wonderful. <laughs> we need those. We need that as well. Indeed. Okay. So I'm going to, um, I want to dive into the situation right within your faculty. Um, sure. Following, it's actually following up from a really wonderful discussion I had with Professor Catherine McKittrick late oh, last yeah. fall about the new Black Studies minor program launching in arts and science this fall. I had a look at the Black Faculty and Staff Caucus at Queen's a membership of 25 individuals. And further to that, I found that only 13 Indigenous researchers are identified at Queen's University on the Office of Indigenous Initiatives webpage. And this is yeah. university-wide across all faculties. Yeah. So Kevin, I wonder if you have some remarks on what the current landscape is in engineering and applied sciences here at Queen's. I guess there's only, the only answer I can put to it is it's deplorable. Um, I can tell you that one of the most prominent and um, Indigenous uh, faculty members we had who was our, is now our provost. <laughs> so Mark <laughs> Green, of course. And so he was, before he stepped into the role of, of vice of, of, of provost, he was, was vice dean in, in the faculty of engineering. So he and I had a lot of conversations about why it is so bad. Um, our, you know, if you go back historically, you know, one of the first uh, black professors at Queens was in civil engineering. Um, and while that pointed to hope, I met with that, he's now passed, I met with his, his children. We haven't done a great job of increasing that number. Um, so it's, it's, it's really, really the, the, the data as you point to are really, really sad. Um, and when I compare them across to uh, the other universities that are part of this partnership, uh, they're similarly worrisome. So we have a lot of work to do. So with the landscape now in mind, in your view, Kevin, how will the IBET uh, fellowships improve the situation in practice? And critically, why must it do so? The why is, a, I'll start with the why because um, it goes back to what I was saying as engineers. Um, the real question to why is because we need diversity 
in engineering mm -hmm. to develop solutions for society. That's what engineering is. So there's a whole lot of things that that are that are that are secondary to that, and probably equally as important in terms of you know, we make better de decisions the more diverse we are. We make you know there's all kinds of great data on that. From from strictly an engineering perspective, we're designing solutions to improve society, and without having a diverse perspective on those solutions we're going to serve we're going to develop solutions that don't serve all of society we're going to and there's there's great examples of that bias in designs and you go back to the first um airbags that were designed by men um and they ended up doing more harm to women than help the women because of the size of the you get so there's all kinds of so you know that that that's the and and to get that diversity within our engineering and the work that we do we need to have and we need to have diversity in throughout the, the the faculty the professors so that the why is 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 is, is clear in my mind um, how this will help. I think this will help in a number of ways. A, it provides support to one of the chief limiting factors of, of professors bringing on uh, doctoral students is financial. You know, mm -hmm. there are many of our, 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 our faculty who would like to bring on, but it's as much as their research grants will support and as much as funding we have that will provide the way for these students to, to get their stipend. Um, so the easiest way to get more uh, uh, students in is through funding. So that helps in step one. And the, part, the second part, by, by identifying this specifically as a means to increase diversity through Indigenous and Black uh, PhD students, we really hope that it will um, increase the numbers through that, through, through, the, through, through the breaking down that barrier. And the other reason that I think that's going on, and I'll point back to the conversation at at noon, so the six universities signed on, we shared this news with other universities, and already I've heard from others that want to do the same thing. So if this gets to our goal is that this becomes national, if we do this at a national scale, this is now we can know we're talking about having a larger impact and starting to be able to frame and, and that information should get to the undergrad students who are like, wow, I, you know, I hadn't thought of myself in a PhD, but now maybe, you know, there's these ways and means and you start broadening it. And at a national level, we could be talking about numbers that could make a difference. And hopefully some of those will stay at Queen's. Great. Thank you so much. So I'd like to hear now a little bit more about the partnership with other universities and how that might work in practice. Now, <laughs> each university will tailor program structures and, and features to support experience at their respective institutions. But how will partnership across all six universities be of a shared benefit to each university, their instructors, and ultimately uh, the students? The quick answer there is we're not entirely sure yet. Um, the, the larger answer is, um, and, I, and I say that because universities are inherently in competition with each other, right? We've seen that before with um, going, you know, trying to get more women faculty members. And all of a sudden, all the women faculty members from one university get poached and hired to another. Well, that didn't help the system, right? So. So it, it, in essence, there's some competition and, and, and that's healthy. Um, however, um, I think the motivation to collaborate here 
is deep because it's something that we can't solve individually for, as I said, the numbers before. So where I see the true benefit of this and the, and the collaboration where it will benefit not only, for example, Queens, but where it will benefit Queens to collaborate with these other six is the kind of networking events that we have, uh, we've thought about. And, I, and the reason I answered, we're not entirely sure yet because the, the program is launched, we're hoping to get students to apply to it. We're hoping to have this thing in place in the fall, but not all the details are, are in place. So we know, for example, that we want to do an annual conference. We know we want to have mentorship situations set up, but I see a real opportunity to do even more. For example, deal with some of the, you look at what are some of the issues that can distinguish a young, a PhD student that's trying to get a faculty member is excellent teaching, um, training and experience. Well, there's, we, we just developed an incredible course um, for engineering, teaching and learning. It's a, it's a graduate level course. Well, we would offer that to students um, through the ONCAT, there's a program of Ontario universities where you can take any course, from an, any graduate course from another university. Oh. So we could put this in the mix of that and say any student in the IBET program, we put in a little incentive to get around that and to get that. And Sometimes the barriers to do those things, and I'll be very frank here, sometimes the barriers for PhD students to do extra professional development, such as this course or other things like that, are the supervisors themselves who will say, well, I, you know, that's all fine and dandy, but we got this research project we got to get you on. You know, that has to be your focus. Well, we, again, I talked about the, the levers that deans have. Well, this is a, the dean, because we're providing the funding for this, that is built into the program so that the expectations are really clear for those professional development. And I think that professional development, those aspects are something that would be difficult for Queens to deliver and develop all on its own for indigenous and black engineering students, but doing it as a consortium increases the, the, the effectiveness and, um, and uh, that will, will kind of encourage the collaborations. We had a similar collaboration that we did again in Engineering Deans Canada across the country for helping to pivot universities for online teaching mm -hmm. uh, and resources and stuff. And again, that was some of the struggles we had to get around, but once there was enough of a motivation, this is why there has to be an incentive for people to get in. So I think that will, that will work. And we, the, at least for the six university deans, we get along really well. So we're, we're, we're friends as well, and that will help. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So now let's fast forward a little bit into the future, Kevin. Students are coming into Queen's University having received these fellowships. What can Indigenous and Black students pursuing doctorates in specialized engineering research expect having received these fellowships and they arrive at Queen's? Then what happens? That's a great, that's a great question, right? Because, you know, really, how will they know... Um, how, you know, how will they know they made a good choice in doing this is, is, is another way. What will they actually see? And I think um, one of the things that they're, they're going to see a few things. They're going to see, uh, they'll, be, they'll be A, supervised in an, in, 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 in an environment, a local environment in terms of the actual program they are, they're working with and the supervisor they're working with, who, who is open and wanting uh, to increase the diversity of their particular lab. So they'll bought in and have that support. The next is that they can expect um, a greater level of, of support and mentorship 
than they typically would get in a regular PhD program. And I think this is one of the things that we need to do. That's another discussion broadly in how we prepare our PhD students mm -hmm. to begin with. Um, our Dean of Graduate Studies, Fahim uh, Kadir, and I have talked about this. So, you know, what, 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 what is the value offering to come to Queens for a PhD? Lots of things we could do around that. But I think in particular to this, this will be, serve as an example for that and making sure. So I think they can expect to find a supportive mm -hmm. environment, an environment where they have a network uh, of, of people to lean on, not just at Queens, but across other universities to help them succeed and help launch their career. Fantastic. That sounds very encouraging for students thinking about doctoral studies too. That sounds like a something to look forward to. We appreciate that. Now, one thing I also wanted to uh, talk about too, I see that the fellowship value is actually a lot more valuable than NSERC, <laughs> which is amazing to see. So how is the amount of the of, of these fellowships determined? How much is it or and what is their value? And importantly, if going back to our earlier discussion about trying to figure out how these are going to be funded, who's funding these yeah, fellowships? That's a good question. Uh, that's another one. Um, so yeah, they're $25,000 a year. Um, and, and, Boom. And guaranteed for the four years um, that, of the PhD. Um, and that's uh, substantially higher than NSERC. That's a separate com conversation where NSERC's fellowships are, are way too low. They haven't been increased for a number of years. I, as a member of the Engineering Deans Canada, we made a petition to NSERC to have those raised. Um, but it also reflects, and where we got to that was in for PhD students in engineering, the average fellowship is much higher than the, uh, than the uh, minimum that, that is provided by NSERC um, and can be much higher than even this award. So we really wanted it to be, uh, if we were really going to remove all the barriers, we wanted to make sure a faculty member could say, with this, with this scholarship, I can take on a PhD student, and then with TAs and RAs, They'd have, they'd have substantial funding um, to be able to start. That was one of the things we debated for quite a while around getting the number. Um, and I can tell you that we danced around different figures that made certain people nervous and other people really lean in. Um, and where the money is coming from right now is we, I did have a fund set up for, um, to encourage more PhD students in, in engineering. Um, and I'm using that along with um, some donor funds that I have that are less restrictive um, that I can put. So we're doing some creative financing to, to be able to bootstrap this, but let it be very clear that, you know, to sustain this, um, I'm re we're really going to need uh, philanthropic support to, to sustain this in the end of the future. It's, 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 a, it's a $1 million investment if you count the number of universities engaged in a very small amount of time. Okay, so continued efforts to seek uh, more support. Philanthropic support will be ongoing. They're very generous alumni, and I'm really relying on them seeing the success of this program and the com and my own commitment for it as, as a motivator to help support us. Okay, thank you. So now, Kevin, on the logistical side, the nitty-gritty, if you will. Mm. Absolutely. So it's the sticks and stones, how many fellowships will be awarded uh, by Queen's University. When will applications be opening? Where can people find out more information? That kind yeah, of stuff. The, I, I know we have committed to two this year. 
um, in engineering and I, the applications are open now. Um, we're just putting the fin we're putting the finishing touches on the website um, and application form um, just over the weekend. Um, and what I would say is I'll direct students to the Faculty of Engineering uh, Graduate Studies mm -hmm. page um, for more information about the nitty gritty, if you like, or the application processes. Okay. Uh, yeah. So do you have anything else to add about the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science or the Indigenous and Black Engineering and Technology Momentum Fellowships or life in general? Oh, yeah. Keep, keep safe. I love that expression that's going around, which is, um, how's it? Stay positive, test negative. Um, I, I'd love to end on that one. But I guess I'll just say, you know, one of the things that we've been using, and I'll go back to that Aboriginal Access to Engineering program, it really is a template for us for success in terms of how to approach issues of diversity. And that I have to um, shout, give a shout out to Melanie Howard, who's the director of that program, has been with it for almost the full 10 years that we've had that in program. And she's been helpful in this, in the design of this program as well, asking some of the tough questions, um, helping us sort out some of the details and forging the kind of uh, foundation upon which we want to launch this program. So I think, you know, I, I think we have a lot of hard work to do when, when it comes to diversity um, and inclusion in engineering. Um, but I, I, I like the engineer's approach of this is a problem. How do we solve it? Let's get around trying to solve the problem. Um, and I think that's what we see here with this collaboration. Um, again, seeing collaboration across competing entities is, is encouraging. Um, so I'm an optimist at, at heart and I'm, and I'm really hopeful that the next time you and I are chatting, we're talking about some of the successes of this program. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, folks. We have been chatting with Dr. Kevin Deluzio, Dean of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science and also Professor of Mechanical Engineering right here at Queen's University. And we've learned so much today from you about the Indigenous and Black Engineering and Technology Momentum Fellowships. We really do appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing so much with us today. Thank you so much. I'm a big fan of CFRC. You guys are doing great work. Keep it up. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.